0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance and Blue Pineapple Travel. This is George. I appreciate your listening. It is news and research week once again here at the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, and we have some interesting things to share with you this week. Uh, I'm going to be talking to you a little bit about the newly released Elite Fields of the New York City Marathon, and Patrick's going to be talking a little bit about the, uh, the Reebok Track Club that was recently announced, uh, headed up by Syracuse star Justin Knight, who I'm a big fan of. Um, I'm also going to share with you a little bit of research about the BMI differences between swimmers and runners, Um, and Patrick's going to talk about some research that he got pretty fired up about, as a matter of fact, having to do with emotional intelligence and race performance. Uh, Before we get started, there were two quick things I wanted to do. The first is to... Update this just a little bit here. Uh, we recorded the the news and research podcast a little bit early this week uh, rather than recording on Sunday. Uh, and in the meantime, since we recorded it, there was a couple of things that happened that we would be remiss if we left out. Um, the first one is actually a correction. Um, when the New York City Marathon fields were announced, Gwen Jorgensen's name was notably not on the list. And so Patrick and I discussed that a little bit when we discussed the New York City Marathon elite fields. Since that time, over the course of the past couple of days, between our recording of the podcast and today our releasing the podcast, uh, Gwen Jorgensen has been announced as an entrant in the Chicago Marathon, Uh, and so that's where she's going to be making her fall marathon target here, attempting to get that Olympic trials qualifying time. Uh, The second thing I want to mention to you is that one of the best 5,000-meter races ever run, and certainly the best one we've seen over the course of the past few years, uh, was run this week in Brussels, Belgium. Uh, The winner was an 18-year-old named Salomon Berega from Ethiopia, and he ran... 1243.02, 1243.02, that's 12 minutes and 43 seconds for a 5k on the track uh, for an 18-year-old named Selim Um Now, not only was that a world junior record, uh, of course, uh, it was also the uh, the fourth fastest that anybody has ever run for that distance. And the only three people to have run faster um, are all-time greats, are considered to be some of the, the greatest runners of all time. So he put himself in pretty rarefied country with the company, with the uh, fourth fastest time ever run there. Um, but more than that too, there was actually eight people in that race that ran under 13 minutes. Um, there was a 1245, a 1246, a 1255, a 1256. Uh, Paul Chalimo from the United States ran his personal best, ran 1257, which I believe was the first time under 13 minutes for him. Uh, he was a silver medalist in the 2016 Rio Olympics. Um, A Kenyan ran 12.59, and another Ethiopian ran 12.59 as well. Uh, Ben True, who I'm a fan of, and who is the husband of Sarah True, who is a professional triathlete, of you might be familiar with as well, he ran 13.04, which is a couple of seconds off of his best, but it's the fastest he's run in a couple of years, and so I was happy to see him doing that well. He's actually begun to focus on the longer distances, so the fact that he can still throw down a 13.04 is super, super impressive there, so the... Diamond League 5,000 meters, men's 5,000 meters uh, in Brussels was was super impressive. Um, The third and fourth things I wanted to make sure I mentioned here um, was that the 70.3 World Championship was going on this weekend down in Port Elizabeth, South Africa, and Nelson Mandela Bay, Uh, and we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks when we start talking about Kona, but it was a wickedly fast race uh, for the winners and the podium finishers there. And so I encourage you, if you're a fan of pro triathlon or amateur triathlon or Ironman triathlon, long course triathlon, to check out those results. Uh, and then finally, of course, the Vuelta a España is moving now into its second week, the third grand tour of the season moving into its second week. And we'll be talking a little bit more about that uh, in a couple of weeks when we come back for a little bit more news and research here. Uh, it's been an interesting race so far, but it's mostly followed the script. So, without further ado, I appreciate your indulging me those corrections and addendums. Let's go ahead and get rolling here with our news and research week on the Most closing Awesome Podcast. brought to you by itl coaching and performance and blue pineapple travel my name
1: is george darden i'm an endurance athlete here in atlanta georgia and i'm patrick ollinger also an endurance coach and athlete here in atlanta georgia and i'm a
0: coach too i forgot about that as a matter of fact so yeah i'm glad you said that uh very good uh it's news and research week as we said during the introduction we have a few things to say but uh, let's talk real quick about the interview that we uh we we put out last week with brandon hudgens i know you listened
1: to it i know you know the guy you've known him for a little while now what'd you think uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I always enjoyed my conversations with him. He's a, he's a very interesting guy, a very engaging personality. Uh, for anybody who's seen pictures of him, he's usually got big sunglasses on and kind of kind of wild hair. He, he's he's very out there. He's kind of the the, the, li- <laughs> uh, the life of the party, so to speak. Um, so I always enjoy speaking with him. You know, we keep in touch. You know, via social media, but it's always good to, to actually talk to a friend. p money. Uh, that's right. Um, so. You know, I had, there's so many big takeaways that I had from from that particular conversation, and you know, one thing I know we've talked about kind of off air or, or offline is how much you know uh, pressure even professional runners feel. And I don't know if this is something he talked about too too much. He only touched on it a little bit in the interview, but he talks about how even though he's run like a sub four minute mile, he still gets nervous for races. Yeah, he still feels um, almost uh, you know. Like, it's a big challenge to actually step on the starting line of a race and try to kind of take on the behemoth that awaits. Um, so I, that was pretty interesting. You kind of could see that coming through in different parts of the conversation.
0: Yeah, we, we were talking about that when, when we first met, um, mm-hmm. when I first met him last week. So I met him at the, the, the Cameron, uh, mm-hmm. and you introduced him to him. And then, of course, he, he came, and, and we had the interview with him. But um, he was talking about how you would think that having stared down death, literally, yeah. Like having to have overcome life and death things and having to deal with like real issues, he said that you would think that that would make him less nervous when he actually goes to the starting line of the race just to do you know four laps here, uh, and in fact he said if anything it's the opposite, um, he still gets super nervous and about everything that is to come in a race. So I, I thought that
1: was interesting. And then the other thing that that kind of stood out to me is how much a community is re- really important. Not. Yeah, and on so many levels one it's important for endurance athletes I mean this is not an easy sport um, we call it the most pleasant exhaustion but there are some times where it's not so pleasant I mean it's mm-hmm. it, it's a lot of people who are you know have, have full time jobs full time responsibilities family responsibilities and then to throw on the, the responsibilities of training for a race it's, it's a lot to go through and it's especially a lot to go through alone and he was very kind of clear and outlining why finding a group is very important and he also talked about that in the, in the frame of mind of someone who's maybe suffering from um, a, a chronic illness or, or some kind of other struggle and to me the big takeaway takeaway from those two conversations is we all need people right no no yeah. man is an island um, and, and it it takes a village to raise a child but it also takes a village to kind of keep an adult sane secure and on the right path I mean yeah. Yeah. no matter how you know of an adult you much of an adult you are and how kind of mature and strong and responsible you are we, we still need people and we still need a community to kind of keep us going
0: for sure yeah i and i think that you know i, I did a, a podcast a topic was before before you joined up patrick uh back in the dark days of the podcast <laughs> um but uh about, about groups and, and and all that sort of thing and i think that as i've gotten older um not only have i have i grown to appreciate groups but I've become more deeply appreciative of the impact that other people have on me and Mm -hmm. and how much I've been influenced by the people that I surround myself with, you know? Um, And, uh, yeah, I, I I think that in the United States we have this real ethic of the individual, Mm-hmm. Um, and all that sort of thing, you know, and, and, and you are the sum of your choices and all that sort of thing. Um, but the people that you surround yourself with or the people that you happen to find yourself with have a really, really profound influence on, on the sort of person that you're ultimately going to be. Um, so Yeah, so, yeah.
1: And, and like in Brandon's case specifically, it's amazing how he talks about meeting Cameron and going for that first run yeah, and then kind of having somebody who embodied the love of running mm-hmm. in a way that he used to love the sport yeah and so in a way I think seeing in human flesh like this is what it looks like to love the sport again and I want to be that again really yeah. helped
0: yeah yeah i and I also appreciate so that kind of segues into something else I appreciate I like that story of him being down by on that road that goes by the river what's the latiaga road or river road or whatever whatever, anyway the one that he said that was it was so aptly named because it was actually a road right by the river um and and just suddenly having this sort of moment where he's like oh yeah i really like this yeah um and and that was after he had spent a lot of times after he had had his painful breakup with running um i think a lot of times a lot of us have had that not only about running, not only about you know endurance athletics, but about other things. You know that that we kind of got away from it, and then something happens, and we catch a glimpse of of why it is that we fell in love with it and really appreciate it in the first place. I like that story a lot. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't I don't know if it's always lightning bolts like that for all of us. Um, I don't know if it's always you know Paul on the road to Jericho type like that like that. Um, but I do,
1: I do like. That that kind of I do like that story. <laughs> yeah, and and moments like that yeah. almost make you appreciate how much you love running around a dark track or yeah. doing something as silly as going for a run.
0: Yeah, I mean, and and they come when you least expect them too. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I've definitely had moments in races, um, a, a few of which kind of spring to mind, where I'm like, this is, you know, this is awesome. This is why I do this. Um, you know, and and I may have been completely wrung out, but but you know, the sound of feet. Hitting the ground in a race where you're in the crowd, I, I think it's super cool. Yeah, I've, I've always I've always loved that sound, mm-hmm. um, and and I don't get to hear it all the time. <laughs> yeah, um, but but I, I think it's super fun. I think it's very cool. Um,
1: and it's one thing I I love about running. Um, yeah, and, and it's moments like that where it's almost hard to explain to people sometimes. Yeah, you know I've, I've had moments where I try to explain how powerful like a run was, and they're mm-hmm. like, didn't you just? Like do the same thing you've done five hundred times this right.
0: year. Like what's going on here? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And i i i did the i did a run a couple of weeks ago. Um. I think I mentioned on here already. I know that you know this, Patrick. But my my family went to Alaska on a cruise ship, and we we cruised or we sailed in and out of Vancouver. Um. And Vancouver has this gigantic park that's larger than Central Park called Stanley Park. Um. And it's named after the same guy the Stanley Cup is named after. Um. And uh, it. It's fantastic. Um, and I went on two runs in Stanley Park, one right before we left to go to Alaska and one when we got back. And on the first one, I ran around the seawall, around the outside edge, and it was awesome. And the second one, I ran through the park and like, like cut across the park, running up over the hills and all these trails having have in the park. Both of them were fantastic. Um, and, and both of them, I was left with this feeling of, okay, th- this is why I love this. I'm in a place I've never been before. I'm running in this gorgeous locale yeah um and and i'm really glad that i get to i'm I'm capable of doing this yeah yeah absolutely um well very cool Um. let's talk about some news and research man it's news and research week once again so are you going to be first with the news or me i think you're starting us off all right so my news is going to be about the recent announcements of the new york city marathon elite fields um uh some of you might have seen that the, they released these over the course of the past couple of weeks they uh released kind of the big names and then they sort of released everybody else and and undoubtedly the biggest name that's returning is shalane flanagan yeah. um the 2017 champ. champion uh, her, her race made such a splash you actually said it was one of your favorite endurance moments of the year last year didn't you
1: absolutely yeah. maybe one of my favorite endurance moments of the last 10 years in terms of like seeing the professionals i mean she has been have been struggling so long for that big major victory she finally got it she got it in new york city mm-hmm. she crossed the finish line in a total giffable or memeable moment, <laughs> um, and, and blurted out exactly what she was thinking. Yeah, yeah. And, and so it, it was a great moment. It was one that kind of propelled her to run the Boston Marathon. Even though I think she was originally going to plan for 2017 New York to be her last. Yeah,
0: well, well, she's been kind of saying like for the last three or four marathons, she's been saying this is probably going to be the last one. This is probably going to be the last one. And so then she announced, um, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, okay, now I'm going to defend my title in 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 New York. Um, and so. And what was kind of a you know a bit of a surprise, but it makes sense if you look at it kind of in a vacuum that, okay, so she won last year, her last marathon in Boston, you know, on that miserable day in Boston didn't go quite the way that she wanted it to. And so she's going to defend her title and try and go out on a high note. Okay, great. Um, you know, it kind of makes sense, but at the same time, I mean, she's been going for a while, man. Um, and so, so we'll see how she does. Hopefully she'll do well. She's going to be joined speaking of the Boston marathon in 2018, uh, 2018 Boston marathon champion, Des Linden, uh, is going to be running as well, um, and so so look forward to seeing them face off against one another. Um, uh, the next great American marathoner, at least I keep waiting for it to happen. Molly Huddle, one of my favorite uh, uh, American women runners, is, is is going to be taking part as well. And I look forward to seeing how she does. She does. Hopefully, she'll be having her big uh, big breakthrough race. Um, but there's a lot of other people as well. Um, Mary Cataney, um she won 2014, 2015, and 2016 in New York. Um, and so she had a three-race streak going and was looking for her fourth win in a row when she got beaten by Shalane Flanagan last year. She's going to be back, um, and so she's going to be looking to to reclaim her crown. Um, and then the 2018 London Marathon champion Vivian Chariot also is going to be there. Um, so So again, kind of putting it together, that means the 2014-15, 16-17 New York champ, the 2018 Boston champ, and the 2018 London champ are all going to be there. Um, you know, Ten Olympians and three Abbott World Marathon Majors race champions are going to be there. Um, you know, Add to that mix, you have the reigning uh, World Half Marathon champion, uh, Netsanik Gudetta is going to be there. Um, uh, Mamito Dasca, who finished third in New York City last year is going to be there so all three podium finishers from last year are going to be there um, uh, I mentioned Molly Huddle already uh, the runner up from Boston this year Sarah Sellers she's going to be there uh, the runner up from 2016 Sarah Kipiego is going to be there uh, the 2017 New York City uh, Marathon fifth place finisher Allie Kiefer is going to be there um, uh, notable absence Mm-hmm. Gwen Jorgensen's not going to be there.
1: Oh <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real upset about that. Not. Um, but, but no, she's not. I mean, uh, she hasn't announced what her fall marathon is going to be. Presumably, she's going to be doing a fall marathon. My bet is that she's going to be going to California National Marathon in Sacramento. Um, you know, that fast course in December. That 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 she's going to be joining you. Yeah, I'll see um, her there. Yeah. So, um, so th- that that's my bet because um, as uh, one of the listeners and that I coach pointed out to me this week for all her talk of, of winning marathon gold in the Olympics in 2020, she doesn't even have an Olympic trials qualifier at this point. Um, and so, so she's going to need to qualify for the Olympic trials before she actually wins the Olympic trials and then goes on to win the Olympic games. Um, and so, so since CIM is a pretty quick course and they'll have some pretty fast people out there and she likes championship races, you know, and it's, it's the U S championship again. So she'll probably want to go out there and try and, uh, try and compete for that, that U S championship. So that's where I'm guessing she's going to be. Um, But anyway, back to New York, Uh, super stacked women's field here um yeah so so excited to see the way that's going to turn out uh i should mention tatiana mcfadden uh from the united states uh, wheelchair racer uh, she's going to be going for her sixth title in the wheelchair division at the uh the new york city marathon um and uh she's won the Peachtree road race several times i know as well probably six or seven times at the Peachtree road race too yeah. um the race is on uh sunday november 4th by the way it's a couple weeks two three weeks before uh before thanksgiving then over on the men's side uh, Over on the men's side, you have Bernard Legat, winner of the Peachy Road Race, is making his marathon debut at age 43, 44. I love it. Uh, it's fantastic. He is the, uh, he was the, the the head, I always think it's interesting in the press releases, who they choose as the headline announcement. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so Shalane Flanagan obviously was a headliner of this one, along with um, with Mary Kataney. I mean, you know, they've won the fast past four New York City marathons, of course they should be. Um. But this year, Jeffrey Cam Roar, who won last year, um, was kind of the, the, the subtitle um, of the of the press release by the the New York Roadrunners by the New York City Marathon uh, because they wanted to make sure they mentioned that five time Olympic Bernard, champion Bernard uh, Legat uh, or five time Olympian Bernard Legat is going to be making his highly anticipated marathon debut at the TCS New York City Marathon um, <laughs> so which i I'm psyched. Yeah. I, I like Bernard Legat, man. And and, and watching him win the PC Road race on T V, man, that was just that was some good stuff. I mean on the on the one I mean, hand, score
1: one for the forty pluses.
0: Oh yeah, man. So now, now on the other hand, it it, it does kind of make all of my own running feel a little bit farcical, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because 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 you know, I I race against people in 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 road races, and I'm like, okay, well, twenty something, you beat me. Oh yeah, Patrick, you finished in front of me in the in the five k we ran last week. No big deal. I'm forty four years old, and then here comes Bernard Lagat, same age as me, you know, throwing down a twenty eight forty and and winning the 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 road race this year so anyway I, i'm excited to see what he's going to do he you know he's he's a five-time olympian like we said but but he's really made a name for himself or, or the bulk of his career he was a 1500 meter runner um and so how well that translates into um a 26.2 mile race we'll see man um and so so i am very interested to kind of see uh, how that goes um, so like I said, also defending champ- champion Jeffrey Cameroor of Kenya, is going to be there. Uh, in total, there's nine Olympians and three Abbott World Marathon uh, Majors race champions. So a pretty stacked field, just like the, just like the women's race was. 2013-2015 um, Boston Marathon champion Lalisa DeCisa is going to be there. He was also one of the people in the breaking two. Uh, project. Uh, the London Marathon runner-up, Shura Katata, is going to be there. Uh, two-time Olympian from Mexico, uh, Juan Luis Barrios, is going to be there. Um, the 2017 London Marathon champion, Daniel Wanjiro, is going to be there. Um, and then speaking of old guys, uh, Abdi Rahim from the United States is going to be there. Uh, he's a four-time U.S. Olympian um, and in uh, the marathon and other things. He's like 42 years old, I want to say. Um, he's not quite as old as me and Bernard, yeah. Um, but, uh, but, but he's, he's definitely over 40 as I love as well. you Bernard, like... Yeah, like, like, we're buddies. Like, <laughs> I feel like you have him like, in your phone. Like, 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 me and my pal Bernard, yeah. B-Money is what's in my phone. <laughs> um, yeah, me, me and my pal Bernard, you know, we both, we're both, you know, Masters runners. Um, uh, and then, uh, Jared Ward, who, uh, was a 2016 Olympian from the United States is going to be there. Uh, and Shadrach B-Watt from the United States, who, uh, is, uh, is, uh, was third in the Boston Marathon this year. He's going to be there as well. Um, Australia's uh, Kurt Fearnley is also going to be going for his sixth New York City Marathon title in the men's wheelchair division, um, along with or against the defending champion Marcel Hugh of Switzerland and past champions David Weir of Great Britain and Ernest Van Dyke of South Africa. Um, so, yeah, pretty pretty stacked wheelchair field, as a matter of fact, too. 14 Paralympians and eight Abbott World Marathon Majors race winners uh, in the, the men's wheelchair division. So, so yeah, pretty incredible.
1: Yeah, um, stacked field. And I, when I first saw this, I almost wondered if this was New York City's way of kind of swinging back at Chicago after they had a pretty good elite field last year.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, it's kind of reasserting their uh, their preeminent uh, <laughs> uh, marathon in the United States status.
1: Yeah, like, no, 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 no. Let, let's... Come back over here. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's an incredibly stacked field. I love it. It, it. Just like in any other sport, you want the big names on the biggest stages, and that's yeah. what we have this year with New York City. Yeah. On yeah. the women's side especially, that is a incredibly stacked field. Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, it's going to be fun to fun to watch. Um, uh, it's worth mentioning, uh, got a little bit of attention this week, Um Zane and Jake Robertson, who you and I have talked about before, the twins from New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody um, uh, wrote on Zane's Instagram, uh, sa- said, hey, are you going to be running New York? Um, and he responded, the New York Marathon wants Americans. My brother and I were denied entry, is what Zane Robertson said. So, mm. um, so that would... If that's in fact the case, that's that's too bad that they're not going to be there. Um, but at the same time, still a pretty stacked field for both the men's and the women's races here. So, looking forward to watching both those unfold. Um, all right, what do, what do you got? What's your news?
1: Yeah, so my news is something that happened actually a few weeks ago, but we haven't had a chance to discuss it here on the podcast. Um, so, it's, it's, for folks who are really kind of into the running community and into the kind of professional running, you you may kind of this may seem a bit recycled or, or a bit out uh, of old, but um, my news is about Justin Knight and, and Reebok. So, just to kind of give folks some background. Justin Knight is a Syracuse alum and a native of Toronto suburb. And it was announced by Reebok that he will continue to run under his college coach from Syracuse, Chris Fox. Um, more importantly, for me and really for for American distance running, uh, he's running for a brand new team under the Reebok brand. Um, so Reebok starting a just announced they're starting a new Reebok Boston Track Club, and they named former Syracuse head coach Chris Fox as their new uh, Boston track club coach. Um, and they're they're calling it the Boston track club. Yes, they are, which is a little different because so Reebok opened their new global headquarters in Boston. So that makes sense. Okay. And Mm -hmm. Boston's obviously a huge running community, but they are setting up the track team in Charlottesville, Virginia and using the (laughs) UVA, uh, equipment. So that's a little fuzzy, a little confusing, but, um, that that's kind of that background there. And, you know, they, so they started this team and they really kind of, started with a bang by signing the bluest of blue-chip talents in 22-year-old Justin Knight right out of college. I mean, this is kind of the, like the number one pick in the draft, so to speak. Um, so he, he signed the, the same year that he won the 2018 Indoor NCAA 5K title. Um, Justin Knight's a pretty interesting story because he's a guy who started out playing basketball in high school, um, came, into co- came into college running, and he claims he only ran about 30 miles a week or so in high school, which is like less than what we prescribe most of our just recreational runners so i mean he was a very low end uh in terms of the mileage rate and kind of the amount of training he was putting in and then lo and behold a few la- years later he's winning an ncaa cross-country title right off of surprisingly low mileage for somebody at that level so it appears he has a lot of room to grow he's only 22 for folks who aren't too familiar that he that means he still has probably five to eight more years of kind of growing and, and building his fitness before um you know hitting his peak to some degree so that's a little bit about Justin Knight. Now, in terms of the,
0: I'm, I'm a Justin Knight fan. I've yeah. said that before. I, I, I like Justin Knight, uh, Canadian runner, and and I, I got to watch him run at the ACC Championships a couple years ago. Um, uh, when it was at Georgia Tech, mm-hmm. uh, he won the 5,000 meters. Um, uh, yeah, I'm a fan, and so I'm excited about this. I think it's cool that Reebok's building
1: a team around him. Essentially, yeah, he's one of the few college runners I've really followed for a few years. Yeah, the rest you kind of see like on you see him on the heat sheet in the championships. You're like, oh, I'll. Sure, we'll, we'll fall for this one race. But he's the one that's kind of stood out year after year. Yeah. Um, so he, it's great to see that, that he was able to, to sign with Reebok. And it, I imagine him him signing with, with Reebok and with Chris specifically means that they've had a good working relationship. So yeah. that's good to know that he's not searching, right? Right, right. You know, it's it's better to, to have the job you like, so to speak, or to have the boss you like than kind of being in, in a state of flux. Right. Um, in terms of the team themselves, uh, Reebok, some of their big – Main competitors will be Nike's Bowman Track Club and Oregon Project, uh, the Brooks Beast, uh, Hoka's one uh, New York, New Jersey, New York uh, Track Club, and I'll even throw in Atlanta's own Mizuno Atlanta Track Club Elite Team. I mean, we're really starting to build up kind of repertoire of of elite uh, track clubs here in, in the states to kind of build up a, a pipeline of talent, and really kind of build that that elite talent. Um, and to me, it, it's. That's the real interesting part of this story. Um, so we just had the, the World Cup a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And you know, for those of folks who, who followed the World Cup either um, passively or, or actively, who are really into it, you probably heard a lot of talk about how the American team failed to qualify for the World Cup. And there's a lot of speculation about kind of the infrastructure in place in American soccer, right? And a lot of folks were asking, how could a country with, with our size, our kind of amount of human capital, our passion for sports, and our – capital our, our amount of money not qualify for a world cup and you know a lot of the discussion came back to kind of our country's ability to train and develop young and promising players and we face a lot of the same issues here in running in the running community um, sure. where there's a lot of money in this country there's a lot of athletic talent in this country but it hasn't always translated on victories on the world stage in recent history now that's not to say we should win everything that's in soccer or in track and field or in long distance running but there does seem to be a bit of a gap in terms of what what we have accomplished in, in recent years and and where we potentially could be. So it's it's great to see another company invest in young talent and develop a team here in the states. Um, you know, it's it's you've always said. You know, I think you, you have a line like the more f- fifteen minute five kers we have, the more fourteen minute five kers we have right on down the line. Absolutely. And and I think that that you know the more we kind of continue to to build up the the elite talent and kind of nurture that talent, it will really kind of help out. The, the distance running scene as a whole.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, and you and I have talked about this before, and we talked about it with, uh, with Zap Fitness, yeah um, that, that when I came out of college, um, there was not really an infrastructure in place for people who were pretty good, even people who were great, even yeah. people who were like NCAA champions. Um, there was not really an infrastructure in place that would help them get from where they were to being Olympic-level runners
1: where they were as a 22 year old college graduate yeah
0: so so you know 22 year old college graduates end up winning stuff and then uh, and they they win everything in sight and then over the course of the next three or four years they need to do a lot of really good high quality healthy consistent training in order to be able to compete at the world level and there was just not something in place to help that happen Um, and into that void is where zap fitness came Mm -hmm. Um, that's where they came from that was andy palmer's original vision as we talked about with pete ray not too long ago um, that that they would say, all right, we're going to give you space and time mm-hmm. and coaching and health insurance um, that will help you bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's super important. And, and if our if we're going to be able to be competitive, we need that. And so so it's good. I agree with you. It's good that, that to, to be getting another group in there to do that, if for no other reason, because it means that more people who are in that upper one-tenth of one percent um, coming out of college, coming out of the college system, which is so well supported, right. and when they do have so much support and so much money and everything like that, uh, and so much good coaching, um, that that top one tenth of one percent, like more of them are going to be able, if they choose to to pursue running professionally and try and become world beaters rather than just you know nation beaters.
1: Um, so yeah. yeah, I'm excited about that. A- absolutely. I mean, it, it it takes a village to raise a child, and it takes an <laughs> infrastructure to develop an elite athlete. Right, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. This um, is the
0: this is the second week in a row you have said it takes a village to, or wait, did you say it in both of them today? I just want to say that
1: I, I don't recall. I may have just said it in passing off air. <laughs> I, I can't remember, but uh, it's clear it's clearly words you live by <laughs> uh, exactly because you know. Um, <laughs> But we want more athletes to have a chance to develop, you know, after college. As mm-hmm. you mentioned, Pete Ray said on this podcast a few months ago that one of his goals was to give more talent, more opportunities to nurture that talent, mm-hmm. and to give, and more specifically too, to give a red chip talent that chance to develop after college. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you could probably share about how your experience may be a little bit different. So you came out of college in what the mid '90s or so?
0: Yeah, '96.
1: And you know, at that time there really was there was no. So Not much of anything.
0: Well, it was interesting. So, so there was, um, and and there, there there was essentially one, um, and it, it was called the Reebok Enclave. And so, so mm-hmm. another kind of wrinkle to this story is it's interesting that that Reebok is actually folding back in because mm-hmm. they kind of folded out and then they they started sponsoring Zap for you know fairly recently, and then now they're actually going to set up their own their own club team here, which is cool. Um, but the, yeah, the Reebok Enclave, which was based in in Washington D.C. Um, and it was, um, uh, it was coached by Jim Gagliano, who was mm-hmm. the Georgetown coach. Um, and the, the, the primary athletes that were, that were in it were a guy named Steve Holman, who had been a 1,500-meter runner at, uh, at Georgetown, and one Rich Kanaugh, um, yeah. who is now the head of, of the, the, the Atlanta, um, Track, Atlanta Club. Track Club. Yeah, thank you. Um, and, uh, and fellow twin dad. Um, and uh, it's, it's funny because I actually worked in Washington, D.C. that first year out. Um, so I worked for the Olympics my, when, as soon as I was graduated and then got a job working for Senator Sam Nunn in Washington, D.C. And so my college coach called up Jim Gagliano and said, hey, there's this guy in, in Washington, D.C. He's looking for a group of people to run with. Can you, can you run with him? And, so, and he's like, yeah, sure. And so I actually went to a few of the workouts with the, uh, with the Enclave uh, and ran with him a few times, ran with Rich Kanae, ran with Steve Holman, ran with, with some of these other guys who were trying to, to, to make that, that jump. Um, and Rich was ultimately successful. Uh, you know, Rich ended up becoming a medalist um, at the World Championships in the 800, which is, you know, fantastic. He ended up going to the Olympic Games. Um, and, and for me, it, it, it never really happened because I think um, what, what I realized in the short time, in the couple of months that I trained with them, was that, that because I had a full-time job and because nobody that I worked with in the senator's office knew a thing about running and about what it entailed and all that sort of thing. And because in order to run the right amount, I'd have to get up super early, stay up all day, and then run late. Like that sort of, I mean, um, uh, the two just for me just weren't compatible. Yeah. Um, And so I think the big takeaway from my own experience is thinking about um, that if you want to be able to make that big jump to the next level, you can't be working a full-time job at the same time. Yeah. You know, if, if you're trying to run 100 miles a week, 130 miles a week, um, you know, a whole lot more. Intense um, miles, too. Not, yeah. Not so much yeah. And miles. do work. Yeah, exactly. And do workouts and everything else. Um, you're going to have a really hard time working a full time job and doing that at the same time. Um, it, it, it was too much for me. Now, I look back on it. and I wonder sometimes, you know, thinking about all the different responsibilities I juggle now, like uh, sometimes I'm, I'm like, really, George? age 22 you couldn't pull that off (laughs) um but 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 no i don't think i could have i think if i could have i would have yeah um and and um i think it's very very hard to try and say hey you need to get your career launched your professional non-running career launched at the same time that you're trying to take your running career to the next level i i I think you can't do both those things at the same time no whether whether you're george darden or Justin Knight or whoever
1: yeah, those those goals are just too incompatible. Yeah, um, and there's almost no way to streamline any efficiencies. I mean, yeah, you know, anytime you put towards one, you're not putting towards the yeah, other. Like yeah, sleep, running, nutrition, right? You know, all yeah, all
0: kinds no, of things. no way. There's like I couldn't run to work, right? You know, or I couldn't run. I mean, there's I couldn't make that happen. You know, that right. just wasn't happening because you know my job and my running were not compatible with one another. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, so, so the point being that, that no, I, I'm glad that Reebok's getting back in the game. I'm glad that they're sponsoring this club, and, and I'm still
1: a Justin Knight fan, so I'm, I'm hoping he'll be able to take that step up to the next level. Yeah, and to kind of build on to what you said a, a bit more, too, it's interesting that their formation of this new elite pro track club, so I believe they sponsor Zap Fitness. Yeah. So they, they, that was their only really foray into the kind of the distance elite field. But more specifically, they made huge cuts to their running program from, like, 2009 through 2013. Right. And they just gutted it. I mean, they were almost like the gene that just comes in and cuts everyone. Um, You know, so aside from that sponsorship of of ZAP Fitness, they had been out of the professional running game for for a while. Yeah. Um, and, And... now they kind of come back and decide to to kind of reinvest there, yeah, and, and so it's interesting I gotta say too where that and that's, really, and
0: that's good that's good for running, that's good for for the shoe industry, that's good for everybody
1: so that's yeah, and that's what I was going to say too, is where that affects kind of everyday athletes like you and me who are not maybe going for the the Olympics or anything of that nature is that the CEO of Reebok came out recently and said that his goal is to make Reebok the best fitness company in the world, and up until three or four years ago, uh, he said, you know, we didn't really have a strong presence of running because we didn't know it was that important. We, know that, we didn't know that market was there. Um, we didn't know being the best fitness company in the world meant also producing a superior running product. Huh. But because we have so many people kind of hitting the pavements at the Petri Road Race, the, the, the Publix Half Marathon, et cetera, um, you, know, they, he, we, you know, as amateur kind of weakened warriors, we've almost kind of forced this, this, this leader in business to say, okay, this, is, this running thing is, is a force to be reckoned with. Damn right. Um, you know, and and then where that then kind of helps us too is you know he invests more resources into running equipment. Um, the Brooks CEO recently said on MSNBC that his company keeps investing into running shoes because quite, quite honestly he's just said for every dollar we spend in running we just get returns in tenfold. We just mm-hmm. keep finding we can't spend enough in investing in R and D with our running shoes. Right. So you know, not only does this Enclave kind of help the elite field but kind of a, a rising tide lifts all boats so to speak mm-hmm. you know the, the more kind of the more of a market there is in, in running that the the more we can kind of all benefit from that
0: yeah well and in turn you know to to, to circle back around to what we were talking about just a second ago you know, who is going to be buying all those Reebok shoes? Right. So, so, so Reebok's going to reinvest in the sport. They're going to reinvest in, in their running shoes. They're going to improve the quality of their running shoes. They're going to, to, to devote more into research so we can learn more about what shoes are best and will keep us healthy and all that sort of thing. Um, and then who's going to buy them? It's not going to be, you know, the it's not going to be only people breaking 16 minutes for a 5K. Right. You know, it's going to be people running 30 minutes for a 5K and then in turn that money will go back into Reebok and Reebok will will use that money to support Justin Knight and 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 other runners in their in the 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 track club. So, so yeah. Now Justin Knight's a Canadian by the way, so maybe I shouldn't be saying that, but because he he's going to run for the Canadian Olympic team, I imagine, but you know. Good yeah. point, but the, the point is we're seeing
1: more and more people invest resources yeah. into into running and kind of yeah. developing elite runners, and whether it be Brandon's story last week, uh, Cameron's story, with you know, how he joined ZAP Fitness, um, Pete's story as kind of the head of ZAP Fitness and the coach at ZAP, that's just one thing that keeps coming back, that it, it, it does take some infrastructure to really develop that elite Olympic athlete. For sure, for sure. Very good, very good. Good story.
0: Um, right, let's talk about some research. I'll talk about mine quick, cause, uh, or first, because it's, it's not going to take too long. Oh, before we do that, I do want to mention, too, since we're talking about, about news, uh, I do want to mention that, uh, that, that some of you might have seen, I, I mentioned Ashley Horner uh, a couple of weeks ago on this podcast, the last time we talked about news and research, who was... Uh, the athlete who was attempting to do 50 Ironman distance triathlons in 50 different locations, 48 contiguous states, and two in Haiti over the course of 50 days. And I mentioned then that, that I was concerned that she didn't quite know what she was undertaking. And, and that, in fact, has proven to be exactly the case. Um, yeah. She made it literally to, like, day three or day four um, and and just didn't really quite know what she was getting into. Um, had a really hard time and DNF'd on day three. Um, and, uh, and then came back and said, I'm ready for day four. And her coach ended up saying, no, this is too much for you and ended up bailing on her. Um, and, uh, she's now kind of, uh, approached Instagram and that sort of thing a little bit more humbly and has said, all right, I still want to do this. I still want to raise money for, for, uh, the orphanage in, in Haiti that, that she's raising money for. Um, she says she still wants to do 15, 50 iron distance triathlons, but, but has given up on the, the, over the course of 50 days and all that sort of thing. So, um so kudos to her for continuing to 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 go after that goal and continue to try and raise money um and of course kudos to her for for you know taking a little bit more humble approach this second yeah <laughs> you know um i do think i i do think I read somewhere that she actually is signing up for uh for an ironman branded triathlon um and and so she will actually do one you know that's measured and with other competitors there and all that sort of thing. Um, and then on a similar note, too, we're going to have a, a preview episode for, for the Ironman World Championships here in, in a few weeks here, um, there in October. Um, but it was released. Or it was announced this week that, that two people that, that might not have been expected to compete were going to be competing. One is Tim Don. Um, Tim Don, who we've talked about on the show before, uh, was hit by a car last year um, while, while in Kona preparing to race in Kona. Um, and so w- w- was was hit by a car and, and was pretty seriously injured, uh, broke uh, broke his neck. Um, and then he wore a halo uh, on it around his head for a couple of months, which was more painful because they literally screw it into your skull, uh, but it helped heal it more quickly. Uh, and he was able to get back to racing. Um, he ran the Boston Marathon this year, um, and uh, he has been extended a bid to, to compete in the Ironman World Championships this year which is great. And then also, speaking of cyclists getting run over by cars and Ironmans in Kona, uh, during Ironman World Championship last year in Kona, uh, a, a triathlete named Matt Russell was hit by a car during the race and was severely injured. Um, and uh, he was it was just announced yesterday the day before that he's been extended a bid to compete this year. Um, so glad that both of them are going to be competing in, in Kona after having uh not great experiences in Kona in two thousand seventeen. Yeah um, all right, now we can talk about some research. Um, the the piece of research I want to do, kind of a short one here, um, it was uh came from the uh, Proceedings of the Royal Society B um, and it was. Uh, reported in the New York Times this week, which is the reason why I was able to come across it here. Um, But the the name of the article was, Elite Swimmers Do Not Exhibit a Body Mass Index Trade-Off Across a Wide Range of Event Distances. Uh, And what the researchers did in this uh, study is they took a bunch of publicly available biometric data um, from 2012 Olympic athletes, be they runners or swimmers, um, and they compared it. Um, And... What they found was that there was a big difference between the body mass indexes of runners, um, which you would expect, right? Um, so elite and by
1: runners, they're talking about like sprinters, yeah, 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 marathoners. yeah.
0: Thank you for that. Yeah, across, across the spectrum of runners, and so what they found was an inverse relationship: the shorter your distance got, the higher your body mass index was. Right.
1: Hence us running the marathon. Right.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then the longer it was, of course, the slider the your body mass index is. Now, for those of you who don't know, body mass index or BMI, it's basically a number between like 15 and, and 30, yeah. um, and, and it's it's based on dividing um, your height and your weight. Um, and so they found that, that, that uh, distance runners were a slider build, whereas um, uh, sprinters tended to be heavier. Um, but interestingly, and this is where, where the study actually came in, uh, they found that across all swimming event distances from the 50 meter sprint to the 10,000 meter, uh, open water swim, which is a two hour event. So a 20 second event, all the way up to a two hour event, swimmers, body mass indexes converge on a single optimal number, um, in men's and women's events In marked contrast with the strong inverse relationship between BMI and event distance found in runners. Um, and so, um, this relationship held true whether the swimmers were tall or whether they were short, whether they were uh, male or female, all that sort of thing. Um, there was a slight difference between the male's BMIs and the female's BMIs, but uh, the point is, is that, that regardless of the event length and regardless of the physiological systems that the swimmers needed in order to be able to compete, they had very uh, similar BMIs, mm-hmm. very similar builds. Um, the men, by the way, were about 23, and the women were about 21, Mm-hmm. um yeah for as, as far as bmi goes um so that's it's like a muscular yeah yeah because they're super muscular yeah yeah which you know uh 23 is actually uh considered normal like yeah. in the normal range um um, but most people aren't as heavily muscled as swimmers would be right um and so uh so they concluded quote the absence of a speed endurance trade off in the body proportions of swimmers indicates a fundamental difference in the design pressures and performance capability in terrestrial versus aquatic environments unquote <laughs> terrestrial <laughs> yeah, I love that yeah there, we we need to, to to change the name of the podcast to terrestrial endurance pursuits or something like that
1: exactly. yeah so um that's uh, a word like I, I could just imagine someone be like, "All right, we'll take a drink if they use the word terrestrial." Right, right, exactly. <laughs> um, but, uh,
0: but, but yeah. So I, I thought that was fascinating. So, so regardless of of whether you're uh, thin or, or or less thin, whether you're tall or short, um, you still can be successful in swimming. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so sw- sw- swimmers. They have very similar BMIs, but they have very, very different bodies from one another. Yeah, um,
1: which makes sense because it's more about efficiency and how much water you can pull more yeah, than like yeah. stride length.
0: But it's interesting, though, that, that that it would be the same for the sprint as it would be for the, for the, the marathon, effectively. Yeah. That, that's what's kind of fascinating. Yeah, um, is You would think that, that there would be something specific, but and maybe there is, and maybe that's just not captured by BMI. Um, but, but, yeah, swimmers tend to, tend to be built similar to one another, whether they're sprinters or marathoners. Not so in track. <laughs> no,
1: no, 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 no. <laughs> Not at all. Um, tell us about your research. All right, so I, I kind of teased this one in our last news and research uh, episode. But this one, um, so a recent paper with, from three psychologists in Italy explored the links between emotional intelligence and half-marathon performance uh and i'll just start off by saying this is a study i had a lot of issues with which i'll go into which is why i wanted to talk about it here because i want you know our listeners to i don't want our listeners to read this and then just kind of take it at face value i would like to kind of present my point kind of counterpoints to kind of some of the things that are said in this study so a recent paper from three psychologists in italy explored the links between emotional intelligence and half marathon performance now, for those of you who don't know, emotional intelligence is the ability to recognize and control one's emotions. That's what it's defined as. Um, so it's really kind of a test of awareness and regulation, right? Are you aware of your emotions, and are you able to regulate them? And the researchers wanted to know if those who were better at recognizing and regulating their emotions ran faster races. Hmm. Okay? So the study took 237 runners at a half marathon in Italy and had them fill out a questionnaire called the Trait Emotional Intelligence Short Form. The day before race, so it's a survey, right? It's a, a survey to assess their emotional intelligence, and but it's but it's it's probably a pretty, pretty well established survey, right?
0: You you said it's an instrument. What's it called?
1: Uh, trait Emotional Intelligence Short Form. So that's actually part of my problems with the study. Right, they right. haven't decided. They have not found a good tool to to uh, measure emotional intelligence. Right.
0: So so so, so may, maybe their tool for measuring EQ or, or emotional intelligence was a little bit off. Keep going. Correct.
1: So, so for those of you who are not familiar with, with this test specifically, um, it's pretty simple. Um, the participant is asked to agree or disagree with statements like, on the whole, I'm able to deal with stress. And then you rate on a scale of 1 to 7, agree or disagree. Okay. Uh, I'm able to find ways to control my emotions when I want to. Rate on a scale of 1 to 7.
0: It's so it's also a self-assessment. Which is exactly. problematic,
1: exactly? Yeah,
0: yeah. So self assessments are problematic because people tend to answer them in the ways that they like to think of themselves, as opposed to the way that they actually are. Um, but anyway, keep going.
1: Yes, and that's. See, yeah, we well, are just hitting on some of my points. And for those of you, no, no, I'm, I'm glad. So but also for those of you who may not be familiar, George is actually. I mean, you are a. Research, you're an academic. Yeah, I mean, you are a college professor. Right. So I, this t- is,
0: I, I teach about emotional intelligence. This and, is what and you do. E
1: D U C twenty one thirty. Um, so. <laughs> The researchers did go on to find that runners who finished further up in the race or, you know, further up in place um, did indeed score higher on the emotional intelligence test. So and they used that to conclude that emotional intelligence is correlated with faster race performances. Uh, okay, so first of all, I want to start off with, with what I think is the most important issue or point I have. Well, did,
0: well f- first of all, did they, did they say anything more about the mechanism by which emotional intelligence would lead to better
1: race times? yes. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm I'm scrolling down. All right, all right. My bad. So they stated, "quote During the long, long no, excuse me, during the long, lonely middle miles of a race, you make a thousand micro decisions about whether to press on or ease up. Right. These decisions are mostly invisible to everyone else, but collectively they are the difference between a good race and a bad one." Okay. That and was so, kind of there.
0: And so, and so they they figure that people that have good emotional intelligence are better at those so-called micro decisions. Correct.
1: Okay um
0: so that's I'll, I'll ponder that while i'll quit interrupting you. I'll, I'll think about that while you're
1: talking Keep i going. yeah we'll get we'll get back to that one because i <laughs> will start with what i feel like is the most important issues i have and then we'll kind of drill more and more and then that'll lead to maybe a discussion in terms of what we want to actually kind of take away from this mm-hmm. so first and foremost the issue the very first issue i had was that Um, I've always found it interesting that when they judge emotional intelligence based on a self-assessment survey, they don't control for social desirability bias. Right. For those of you who don't know, social desirability bias is the tendency of a survey respondent to respond to survey questions in such a way that they think will be viewed favorably by others. Right. Right? So it can come in two forms. It can come in over-reporting socially desirable behaviors, or it can come in the form of under-reporting undesirable behaviors. Right. Right? Um, So... Uh, or more colloquial terms it's overreporting how awesome you are and re- <laughs> under-reporting how terrible you actually are to like people you're closest with right um
0: and, right. and 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 so consider consider for example that nobody even racist people don't think they're racist
1: so and let you me know? say this and, too and so
0: so if you try and do it if you try and do a survey where you say how racist are you on a scale from 1 to 10 Pretty much everybody is going to give themselves a one. Yeah. Right? Um, even if you are like, you know, the Grand Vizier of the Ku Klux Klan, you're going to be giving yourself a one because because in the United States in 2018, it is socially desirable to be not a racist. Right. Which is good, by the way.
1: Yeah. And so i, I also back to track too. I'll tell you, I actually published a paper when I was in academia about social desirability. Oh, right race. on. Um, and it, so... In the, in the social sciences, you're supposed to c- control for social desirable responding. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But quite honestly, no one ever does it because it would crush a lot of studies. And mm. you're an academic. You know when you invest a lot of resources into putting together a study, no one's going to publish a paper that says, hey, the, all my respondents responded <laughs> in a social de- desirable manner. So yeah. all my surveys get thrown out the window. Right. But what that test does is it has questions like it will literally ask the respondent and it will say, have you ever told a lie? Hmm. And if the respondent says, no, then, okay, well, clearly you have. Like, <laughs> that was probably a lie just now. And so, you, so then you can actually, and it's like 50 questions, and you can see, like, if someone scores, like, 45 out of 50, that person is just a flaming, like, they are just re- repeating back what they think you, they, they want you to hear. And they're very obvious questions. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever thought negative thoughts about another person? Have you ever, you know, th- those kind of things that would seem very obvious, mm-hmm. um, Yet people still respond, no, I've never told a lie. No, I've never thought negative thoughts. And so then you're supposed to kind of rate the responder based on how much they are responding in a socially desirable manner and use that to kind right. of control for the right. study. Um, and to give you some background kind of to provide you some context, I actually published a study that found that attachment theory was largely controlled by social desirable responding. For those of you who don't know, that states that the security of your relationship with your parents as a child is very predictive of your secu- the security with which you approach close friendships and remote- romantic relationships, mm-hmm. stable home, stable relationships later in life. Mm-hmm. However, most of the attachment studies are s- simply ask participants, usually college students in the professor's class, hey, how close were you with your parents when you were a kid? You know, And that's how they kind of deal with it. Um, and so I was kind of very familiar with this concept of people responding in, in a very... Socially desirable way, and I just thought they really needed to control for that in this particular study, mm-hmm. because I I just think that's something in, in any self assessment that's that's something you always need to control for, mm-hmm. um, and especially one when you're asking maybe competitors right before a race, mm-hmm. right? Because I think that's something where uh, people are going to respond in a way that's probably very. Um, connected to their their physical fitness right so for example if you ask somebody who is very well trained and very well prepared for the race are you able to control your emotions they're probably thinking yeah i'm pretty good at controlling my emotions right now because maybe they're not they're a bit more confident in their fitness or what the training they put into it Mm -hmm. yes somebody who's maybe hasn't put in the training or or they've had some injuries or they have a cold or something or some other anxieties they may be saying i don't know right now i'm pretty nervous." You know, so that's okay. I see what you're saying. So,
0: so you're saying that the, the via the training process, via getting ready for the race, you might actually increase your score on the particular EQ Correct. instrument that they're using to evaluate your emotional intelligence.
1: Correct. Uh, and so, so, I-
0: so, so, so better prepared people are going to score higher. Ergo, they're going to appear as if they have higher emotional intelligence. The faster runners are going to appear as if they have higher emotional intelligence Correct. when in fact they don't have a higher emotional intelligence; they just trained better.
1: Right. Okay. So th- that's a second point. So my first point was they didn't control for social desirability, and I okay. think that's a disaster. I mean, I think you obviously need to on any self-reporting survey. Mm-hmm. Um, second is I think physical fitness, the situ- or to speak more broadly, the situation with which you, you measure emotional intelligence is very different. right? If you were to give me this survey right before stepping in a boxing match with Mike Tyson, you better believe <laughs> I will not be able to control my emotions. Um, there will be anxiety and fear out the wazoo. Uh, you asked me those same questions right before the neighborhood 5k yeah I'm doing pretty good right now yeah. um, you know the other thing I always thought about is when you're assessing somebody's ability to control their emotions like that's a bit of a loaded question and entirely dependent on the situation for example I am not able to control my emotions when the Falcons blow a 25 point lead you <laughs> in, may in you may be yeah you may be very because you're not a, a huge fan um, no,
0: I watched that and that was pretty depressing. <laughs> Yeah. But
1: the point is it depends on what you care about, right? Where you're if, – if, if, yeah. if you're talking about something you care about, heck yeah, you're not going to be able to, to control your emotions um, or maybe not give it a seven. So I think those are the first three things. And I've thrown a lot at you so far, so I want to hear a bit more of your reaction well, I, to just I, the, 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 yeah. the the method of the test itself.
0: Yeah. no. Well, I mean, as I'm thinking about it, I think – so speaking of the method then, I think one of the – there's a presumption in there – that somebody who's emotionally balanced or who has a, a solid emo- uh, amount of emotional intelligence is going to be better able to make good micro decisions during the race. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and I, I don't uh, I don't know whether the study kind of accounted for that presumption, but but I, I'm not sure I buy into that. Yeah. Um, that that somebody who's more emo- like I, I don't I don't see I, I don't totally understand what the link is between. Good micro decisions during those lonely middle miles of the race, and emotional intelligence. I don't, I don't understand the link there.
1: Right, and so, and I'll go kind of one step further. They, they talk about thousands of micro decisions. Yeah. Have you ever run a race where you made a thousand micro decisions? Maybe I'm thousand. oversimplifying, but I'm like, not,
0: not. A th- I mean, I, I do think that there's a lot. You kind of, of just get in the zone. I, I, I do think there's a lot of thinking that goes on. Now that, I mean, um, there's certainly some, yeah. But go ahead. But I mean, and, and I don't, and I don't think it's complex thinking. If it's complex thinking, you're probably not in flow. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's 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 usually pretty pretty simple stuff. But I mean, there are know,
1: not many complex thoughts going through my head. Period. So. You know,
0: the, the the last race I ran was the Cameron Beam 5K, and if I and if I reflect on that and I think about, oh, okay, that first mile, I went through the first mile too slow, and I'm looking at this guy up in front of me, and I'm gonna, do I pass him or do I do I hang behind him? You know, what do I do here? You know, thinking about that that hill, that last hill that was coming up. You know, that's what, I do think there was kind of a lot in my in my head and I and I was happy with the race I ran Um, but I don't I don't understand or I don't totally know whether because because I do I I think I do have good emotional intelligence I don't necessarily know that or I don't necessarily have faith that my emotional intelligence had anything to do with my making the right decisions yeah like so 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 I, I went ahead and moved past this guy after sitting on his shoulder for a quarter mile um, and I needed to sit on his shoulder because we were moving pretty fast, and then he started to slow up, and so I went on by him. I think I, I think that was just, I don't know that 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 my emotional intelligence had anything to do with that decision. Yeah, ma- ma- maybe in reading the situation. Okay, so and i'm totally thinking out loud here all right okay. which is kind of what i do but but maybe in reading the situation because because emotional intelligence is is has a lot to do with situational awareness right mm-hmm. I, I mean even as you defined it here um and so so maybe you know being able to read the situation and sort of see the race unfolding and watch those pieces happen i mean maybe maybe there's some sort of correlation there not causation but correlation um you know, when when i when i was a bike racer all right, to, to kind of go in a different direction with this conversation. When I was a bike racer, bike racing is very heavily... Your success in bike racing is very heavily influenced by the way the race unfolds. Yeah. Um, and it was funny because uh, there, were, there were several races where I would be trying to get a result for myself or get a result for my teammate, and I'd be up in the front of the pack, up in front of the peloton, doing things and making things happen and chasing down brakes and, and then setting up my teammate so he could then you know, kind of ride off the front and all that sort of thing. And then when my job was done, I would fade back into the pack, and nobody that was sitting in the pack just sort of riding along following the wheels would know what was going on in the front and i'd be like how do you not have you not been paying attention? Yeah. And maybe they were paying attention they just didn't have the situational awareness because they don't have the emotional intelligence. Do you know what i mean? Yeah. So i i don't know. I mean i'm i'm thinking out loud trying to figure out that that link between micro decisions and emotional intelligence.
1: Yeah, and i would also say there's a there's a difference between running a race and cycling cuz cycling there's drafting you know, Yeah. I mean, it's it's a yeah. very you really can switch gears in 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 cycling. Yeah. I don't feel like you switch gears that much in running.
0: You're right. Yeah, i agree with you on that. Um, and 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 one could argue that that say at the Olympic level, like in, in specifically in an Olympic race, um, where where it matters to win, not to, to get a time, that that it is kind of more like a cycling race where there's tactics and surges and all that sort yeah. of thing, right? And so so maybe that, but that's not who they were. they they weren't they weren't measuring the the you know twenty five competitors in the men's ten thousand meters in right. the two thousand sixteen Olympics. They were measuring people in an Italian half marathon. Right. You know, of all different ability levels, most of whom were
1: probably not trying to win the race. Right. I mean, to me, my, my honest... When I first read this, before I kind of started to actually write down the thoughts and dig into, like, the, the method of the test, is I just couldn't help but think this is wishful thinking. Hmm. You know, that, oh, if I just can control my emotions better, then then I'll race better. Uh, but it really, you gotta you got to make the, the, the changes on the physical level. Now, what I will say, too, is, and I don't think they stated this in the study, or at least I didn't see it, there could be some certainly some connection between this emotional intelligence which i'm still even dubious that that's even a real thing and saying we still haven't really found a real test that that is valid and reliable i think it's real um but i do think there's something you said for you know maybe emotional intelligence is more important during training than it is during racing okay um but even then you know for example i have to kind of be aware of my emotions just long enough to get up, get out of bed and make it to the coffee machine, (laughs) right? I have to manage my negative emotions until I get my coffee. And even that's, you know, not some huge process. Um, And we talk about all the time that, you know, one of the goals of of ITL and, and of this podcast is to kind of say that the goal of training isn't to make it as difficult as possible, it's to make it as easy as possible. So you're not having to use a great deal of emotional intelligence and willpower and resilience. You're trying to kind of create a, an atmosphere or, or a, a lifestyle that, you know, makes so you're not having to dig quite as deep into that, those reserves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, interesting. So, and then, and then a, a, a few more notes too. Um, so, uh, there was a correlation of 0.02 between, di- which is very, very low, between yeah, distance run per week and finish time. And factors like age and gender were not considered in the model, so I was, you know, maybe I don't understand statistics well enough, but that alone was enough to make me cry, Bolshevik.
0: Well, yeah, no. So, so what you just said is that there was only a 0.2 correlation between how much people run and what their finishing time was
1: .02.
0: Yeah, no, that's and and yeah, that's very low. So yeah, that's that's exceedingly low. Yeah, .02. Correct. Yeah, no, that's 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 that, that's virtually non-existent.
1: Yeah. yeah. So yeah. all that is to say is I know this this study got a lot of uh, publicity, kind of made the rounds around like I think Runner's World, um, et cetera. And I saw it and was just like, hold the phone, like <laughs> I got some issues here. <laughs> um, and I think to, to to kind of continue the discussion, I think the other issue I had with it is I'm not sure I liked the idea of linking emotional intelligence and athletic performance, so to speak, mm-hmm. because. I mean, I know this is kind of taking a, a step further, but, like, I could not have gone to you and said, hey, George, the reason I beat you in the Chicago Marathon is not because you had a torn Achilles. It's because I'm more emotionally <laughs> intelligent than you. <laughs> um, I, I just, I kind of have a bit of a, a, a gag reflex when I hear us connecting um, some traits with with athletic performance just because you, you kind of get 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 lectured from, like, football coaches that, like, football is, like, you know a game of character Same what you get the same lecture from basketball coaches, baseball coaches, et cetera. And if you're the one on the outside looking in from a physique perspective, you're kind of like, well,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. At the same time, I mean, I agree with you, of course, but but at the same time, I mean, you know, one of the emergent themes, not only on this podcast but also in the in the literature, is about the link between the brain and the and the and the body. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I, and I and I think that it was in that context. I think that they actually conducted this study. Yeah, is that they said they said, all right, well, well, there's there's a link between the brain and the body, and, and we're learning more and more, and we're believing more and more that that what's in your head is going to determine what you're able to do with your legs. Great. Um, and so, so let's measure specifically emotional intelligence and see whether that manifests itself in faster race times. Um, and so I, I, I think it's good that they did that. I think that, and I can understand what their motivation was to do it. Um, but yeah, I, you definitely should not make the mistake of going so far to say, well, it's all in your head and you just have to want it. Right. Um, because that's, that's not how it works either.
1: Right. And, and I think to kind of, to, to, continue to i think there's I, I would have liked it more if it said something like people who complete marathons have shown maybe greater emotional intelligence or it kind of gave a bit more credence to hey, it is a really difficult task if you complete it you've really accomplished something mm-hmm. as opposed to like measuring among people who are already out there and sweating and kind of putting yeah. in the training etc yeah. yeah yeah very good interesting study man i appreciate it and and and, and definitely
0: worth taking a look at like you said it's popped up in a couple of headlines and it's been it's been tweeted more than once and so so i'm glad that you uh glad that you brought it to us um i think that does it right i think that that's it for today all right very good we appreciate you joining us everybody thanks patrick for being here thanks george always a pleasure And that'll do it for another installment of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Thanks for joining us. You can find us on Twitter, at Pleasant Podcast, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Podcast. Don't forget to check out our sponsors, too. You can find ITL Coaching and Performance at itlcoaching.com. At ITL Coaching on Twitter or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash ITL Coaching and Performance. And of course, our new sponsor, Blue Pineapple Travel, a full service travel agency that can book travel anywhere in the world for you. They're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Blue Pineapple Travel, on Instagram at Instagram.com slash Blue Pineapple Travel, or simply at Blue On behalf of Patrick Ollinger, this is George Darden. Thanks again for joining us on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. See you next time.